0: Welcome to the Digging Deeper Podcast. I'm Stacey Martin and I'm glad you're here. I'm already laughing uh, with my friend Jason Smith, who is our lead pastor of direction. I'm already laughing because there's been a Christina Aguilera reference like right as the camera started rolling. So this is gonna be a good podcast.
1: Doesn't take us long to get in the zone, it for sure. It does
0: not take us long. I'm so glad you're here. As I told you last week, this is an exciting series, a three-week series that we are embarking on that is unveiling, unpacking, unrolling, whatever, whatever word, whatever revealing word you want to say, the new mission and vision of Forest Hill. And what I love about our new mission and vision in this message is that it's not solely for Forest Hill in right. a way. Like, I think about our listeners who, some of them don't go to Forest Hill. Some of them live in places as far as the Czech Republic. I mean, we've got people in Prague and Ethiopia. and But what they're going to hear and what you preached on this weekend, I think is just going to light people up. That's
1: awesome, and it is. You're right. It is it is for every church. It is for every individual. This is God's mission, and we just happen to get a place in it, um, but that's what makes it so amazing. It makes it so simple, but it also makes it so um, compelling, I think, is because you are and I are and our church is, and wherever you're listening from, you are partnering with God in what he's up to in the world. That's really cool.
0: It's really cool. Well, you started off the message talking about disconnection. You were in Cairo, you as an LSU fan were trying to watch the national championship and I can only imagine all the issues with technology. I live in Waxhaw and have the same issues with technology the way you were having in Cairo. So I feel this intimately. We
1: love Waxhaw, just saying we we love love Waxhaw, (laughs) that's right.
0: But there's something about disconnection. Like why, why does disconnection feel like such a prevalent theme when we are as a culture, as a society, just about connected on every level you can imagine. Mm.
1: Well, as I try to answer that, one thing that happened yesterday afternoon, we got home from church, kind of resting. The kids and I and Jessica went out to just get outside because it was a beautiful day here in Charlotte. And uh, and then we went by the grocery store and I went into the grocery store and they went into a different place and I didn't have my phone. I left my phone with um, my youngest daughter. And I had this moment where after I got my groceries and I walk outside and I, they're not there. They don't know where the car is. And all of a sudden, I'm remembering what it was like when we didn't have a cell phone in our pocket all the time. And you had to, like, use a pay phone. You know what I mean? And I felt, even in that moment, really disconnected. And it's like, I'm not going to starve here in the Harris Teeter parking lot. <laughs> They'll find me eventually, you know? But I have visions of me laying on the ground wasted Cast away. away tonight.
0: with <laughs> <Yeah>. your volleyball.
1: <laughs> yeah, where's Wilson? Um, but that, even for a moment, that idea of being alone, often follows disconnection. And that's why, even though, like you're saying, hey, as a world, um, in this culture, in this moment in time, technologically, we're more, we have more access to each other than ever. We also feel more alone than ever. And it's because, it's almost like, Dentists have a really difficult time with uh, sometimes when they first come into a practice, and I used to work in insurance, and they had a really difficult time because there was the capacity to see so many patients, and yet many patients would choose um, you know, the last minute. you get a fear of going to the dentist or whatever, and they'd back out. Well, filling their calendar was really hard. Um, there was this fear of missing out on every moment, even though they had plenty of chairs and plenty of time on the calendar. I think we're often like that we, even though we have access to more than ever, when we don't have immediate access to that, it makes us feel more alone than ever. So isolation is this strange part of being disconnected, whether it's relationally, from God, from your Wi-Fi. I mean, you know, sitting in my hotel room that night, it was almost as if I'm the only person in this city. Now that's the dumbest thing in the world, plenty of people were, you know, but for me in that moment, a simple being disconnected from one thing that I wanted filtered into every other part of
0: my life. Kind of a strange thing. Well, and the opposite of disconnection is connection. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason we feel isolation and disconnection so innately is because God created us specifically for connection to him, right? So we talk about in this message, we, we were talking a lot about what does it mean to be bridge builders? You know, this idea that there are two things separated from each other. And for us, the church, it's God and people, like we are separated from God and people. What, what, I think for so many of us there, we can look back and remember what that felt like. You know, there is, there's a feeling of when we felt separated from God, do you remember what that felt like?
1: I do, um, and it's interesting, my story, you know, I grew up um, going to church when I was really little. I, I came to faith, I think for the first time when I was super young. Um, but then had a long period in between of um, not practicing running away. I would even say that I kind of had a um, a real conversion as an adult where I really understood and came back. During the interim, that pause, it's, it's weird. Um, there were alternating feelings of super guilt. Like, experiencing my life, piling up all the things that I've done wrong. You know, even if culture or if my friend group or, or whatever else said, hey, this is calm, this is normal, I still have this sense of knowing internally, and I think most of us do, ah, this is just not right, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Whether it was the effect that my action had on someone else or it was the effect my action had on me, I recognize that, and I just carry, it was like stacking up guilt all the time. Interestingly, though, there's a flip side to it, I think sometimes the feeling of guilt causes you to, to say, well, now I'm just prideful. Like, I can't fix that. Oh, well, now I'm doing it. And then we go headlong and headfirst into a life of kind of pride, independence, you know, self-reliance. And I think both of those are characteristic of the person disconnected from God because the truth is every culture at every point in history has always come up with a way to deal with their guilt, whether it was the most— um, Primitive tribes, whether it was people groups in you know other parts of the world, we've always found some way to deal with guilt. It may be sacrificing another human, it may be um, alms, it may be you know some sort of prayer. We humans just innately know that we have done something wrong and it needs to get absolved. So I feel like no one can run from that piece. It's kind of like um you know the, a counselor will often tell you that um, in men depression looks like anger right so i think for many of us in especially in men guilt looks like pride like i'm doubling down on my ability to work my way out of it to prove i'm better to perform to live up to whatever
0: that's so interesting cuz as you were talking i was thinking what was what what did i feel when i was separated from god and my story, story is similar to yours i grew up in the church probably accepted jesus in an informal way at a young age, but it wasn't until I was an adult. But that interim time, mine, it was a sh- it was just a shame cycle mm. over and over and over again of like that feeling where you feel the heat from your toes come all the way up as you remember or you feel guilt or it's just, it was like, I, I didn't want to live in that pit, literally a pit of shame just over and over and over again. And I, I thought, well, gosh, I wonder if it was because I grew up in the church and I knew that there are was a different way. Like deep down, I had been introduced to it. So would that be the same thing for somebody who has never had an experience with Jesus? And I think you're saying, yeah.
1: I agree. I mean, I think there are plenty of atheists or folks who are um – Uh, And by atheist, I mean not just not a believer, but someone who is um, antagonistic towards faith of any kind. I think a lot of them would say, yeah, it's your religion that's causing the problem. The religion is putting in place rules that you're going to break that forces you to have guilt. And now we get to be the ones to deal with it. Right. It's behavior Mm. management. power grab." But I think if you look at like, again, every single culture throughout history has always known this. I think it's just part of the human condition, and I think that's exactly what the Bible tells us You know that God has been dealing with all along.
0: So we looked at a story in Acts 10 about two men, Peter and Cornelius, and they could not be more different. So Peter is one of Jesus' disciples, and Cornelius is a power player in in the Roman culture. I mean, he's like—he's a Roman centurion, probably some sort of government. I mean, he's a power player. He's got it all together. I love that— I love this story because I could totally I could totally see myself in it in a little bit. Mm. Like both sides of it, it was really interesting to th- see the dichotomy. So Cornelius, because he's such a power player, he's probably like what you were saying. He doesn't feel disconnected for anything. He's got power. He's got wealth. He's got influence. But he and Peter both start getting dreams and visions. Mm-hmm. So part of the story is, is that Cornelius gets a, a, has a dream. He gets a vision from God. And Peter does at the same time. And Cornelius is like, what in the world? You want me to invite some man into my home that is, he's a Jew and I'm a Gentile? Like, what is going on here? And then Peter had a similar dream where he's like, hey, this man's coming to look for you. You need to go find him. They're both. Does God still work by talking to people through dreams and visions? Because I think that's part of a hard part of the story is you're like, so God gave them very specific dreams and visions
1: also in the in between numbers on the am radio dial he speaks through there too
0: (laughs) yes i think i've had that happen (laughs) yeah
1: um i I absolutely believe that he does um and i think at some points for for many of us it is very specific very um undeniable even to you know to yourself maybe not to people outside but i think i've had those moments where whether it was um, a thought process that became very vivid and it just wasn't the kind of thoughts that I would normally have you know mm-hmm. um that's a way that I often can tell like I'm asking myself is this voice me or is this god yeah. usually when it's him it doesn't sound like the way I would work things out um but I think um I think many people would tell you and, and I mean, I could give you a list of times when this happened for me where um, those moments have turned into then me seeking one step further. So I don't stop with that often. It's like, okay, let me pray about the God, are you saying? And looking for this confirmation and lining it up with, um, with what he said in the past. I think that's an important distinction. It'd be really easy for us to say, yeah, God speaks in dreams and visions. Whatever you had last night, that is the voice of God, right? Especially if it's super different.
0: I had a dream analysis book in high school that I leaned into kind of heavily.
1: Tell me about this. Yeah,
0: it's. I have a dream about sausage.
1: Not it's this very, podcast?
0: Not this podcast. Okay. Different podcast, but I think you can. I mean, I think I looked into my dreams because I was like, surely God is talking to me. I dreamt about a red flower and a boat, and I would look up in my little glossary. And I'm like, okay, God, if that means this, what is – I don't think God was talking to me through right. those dreams. <laughs>
1: well, often – here's the key. Um, if you believe that you have had a dream – or a vision, and that God is speaking, you need to check it out with with what he's already said. This is one thing that's really important. God never is going to say something that contradicts what he's already said in the past. He may enlarge and expand. He might further reveal. That's what he's been doing throughout history. But he never contradicts himself. And so um, it's real important to, if you believe that, go to the scripture, find out. Is there a, a part of the concept? Does this principle violate something else? Because it could be easy for us to just make up our own path throw down the god card and we're off who's going to argue you know
0: and i think some people who are outside of religion outside of faith are skeptical of that cuz they're like are you just throwing down a god card like show me where i love that you're saying that go back into scripture cuz you you will see it there yeah that's really that's really really interesting
1: yeah i think we can always trust that word never changes and when we call it the word i mean that's even you know an interesting thing for a, a non-christian person or somebody's not raised in the church to think about what what is that we literally believe it's like god's word his speech his spoken um revelation of himself his spoken love for us his spoken um showing how he's been working in the past like it's all of that so when we say the word that's what we mean um and god is never going to violate his own word
0: so in this story with Peter and Cornelius, as you were telling it, and I love how you did it, how you told you told it a little bit like a, a modern-day narrative, and then you went back to Scripture. So you kind of bounced back and forth between what Scripture actually said and your retelling of the, the events. And so Peter and Cornelius, they both received separate visions from God about pretty much bringing the two of them together. Well, throughout this process, you kept using the phrase, I want you to imagine. And I loved it. For me, this was really powerful because I looked at both Peter and Cornelius, and in the instances that said, I want you to imagine, I, I enjoy, I say I enjoyed, that's probably a loose word, but I enjoyed being able to put myself into their story. Why is it important for us to use our imagination as a, as a faith tool?
1: It's funny you bring that up. My wife told me uh, yesterday afternoon, we were talking about this the weekend, and she's like, yeah, you said, you can you imagine or would you imagine a lot? Um, and I think it's easy sometimes for us, well, let me, let me explain why I do that. I think it's really important that we make these scripture, this God's word, story, speech, right? His revelation come alive because this was real um, life. It, they were real people. I think it's very easy for us to read it and stay rigid and think, well, of course, Peter did exactly what he was told, exactly the way he was told. He followed Jesus for three years. Um, and I'm not as good as Peter and so then either I feel guilty or I kind of give myself an excuse. The fact is Peter, Cornelius, everybody else we read in Scripture, they're real humans. They had the same fear, the same lump in their throat, the same sweaty palms. When God told them to do something different, it, we we don't have words because we're economizing in Scripture, right? Obviously, it was one thing, it was expensive to write stuff down, so you didn't use every word possible like we can do now, banging it out on a word processor. It was really, really difficult. You had to be tight. So they don't tell you every emotion all the time. Sometimes they do. Um, And I think if we don't put ourselves in that place and let our mind that God gave us to apprehend him with as well, not just our intellect— not just the rational side of us. He also gave us the ability to, to see and to imagine and to grasp him in ways that words can't always even explain, you know, like beauty, same mm. thing. So I think we, if we don't use that, we're missing a whole aspect of uh, what he's trying to say to us. My point in this particular passage is I think it can easily get lost on us how hard building a bridge from where Peter was to where Cornelius was actually was for him. Now, God was working it, and we talked about that. We'll talk more about it later. He was in the middle of all of that. But from the human perspective, this went against everything that Peter knew to be true. And how often are we faced with those kind of moments?
0: Well, that's what I appreciated so much about letting this play out a little bit in my imagination because part of the Scripture says that Peter walks in. Like, he just is very definitive. Like you said, not a lot of words. Peter goes in. But what would have been actually the risk to him to walk into a Roman centurion's home as a Jew, knowing, I don't know what's going to happen. These guys know I follow Jesus. I could be arrested. I could be like, I don't, there's major risk.
1: He's just watched Jesus, who had done nothing wrong in, in his eyes, be put to death. And then absolutely resurrected. He's seen him, all that stuff. He's gone on back to heaven now. But don't you think the memory of them coming for him in the middle of the night and putting him in chains, those same kind of Roman soldiers, was playing in his mind at that moment? He's far away from home. He's not in Jerusalem anymore. He's in this town called Joppa, now moving to Caesarea. This is Roman territory. He's in the seat of power of the oppressor. You can't tell me that he didn't feel all the same things that we would feel, and we will feel when we are faced with an opportunity to obey God, say yes to building a bridge.
0: I think you're absolutely right. But what's so so interesting is, like, for Peter— I can look and be like, absolutely, he was afraid. He just, just all the things you said. Of course, he just saw Jesus crucified and he, but like, I have real fear in stepping out in obedience. I mean, I have real, what do you think those things are? Like, what are those fearful places that keep us from stepping into places that required us to build a bridge?
1: Well, if you want to uh, pay the hourly rate, you can tell me about your fears first. <laughs> um, no, I think it's real. I think, um, I think some of the fear is we, we have a very difficult time um, getting over being judged by other people. Um, often, where, when we're having like this either fear of man or fear of woman, um, fear of peoples putting us in a box, in a category, it often has to do with this idea of connection. And disconnection right the reason you're scared is because you may get the severed tie from your connection to friend group people who think you're one way whatever that like even the fear of disconnection is what keeps us sometimes from doing this Mm -hmm. i think that's part of it i think often there's also this aspect that um we're using faith which means i can't see the next step on this staircase what if the bottom falls out what if um what if I heard wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, um, so there's an aspect to uh, to just having to deal with the human idea of uncertainty about the future uh, that comes along with this, even when you know God specifically said do this thing.
0: Well, I wrote down what will people think, because there are so many places you have to step into, especially if you're building a bridge between people who are from or who feel disconnected mm-hmm. from God, or even in the other divisions. I mean, if you think about. Charlotte, in this area, we are an area that has been formed by its divisions. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of our Charlotte's got a lot, looks very glossy and sexy, but we are a city that has issues racially, socio- socioeconomically, neighborhoods, schools. I mean, there's just so much inequality that stepping into those things can make it be like, gosh, what what are people going to think? I was actually thinking about this story the other day in staff worship. Um, Todd Lesher, who who's on the parenting uh, podcast here for Forest Hill. He was talking about his dad, and his dad passed away a couple years ago. And his dad went and had lunch at a bar every week, and saddled up to the bar and walked in, even though people were probably like, "Look at Mister Lesher over there getting a noontime drink." You know, he could have stopped because of what people, what people would think, but he went in to build a relationship with that bartender. That not because he was a bartender, but because he knew that guy was disconnected from God. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with his occupation. It had everything to do with his connection or disconnection from christ and I, I like how bold you know to say stick it to the man like i don't care what anybody thinks i'm going to do it the way god would want me to do it
1: yeah and isn't that the story that when we do that i there are not many times when we could look more like jesus think about the way he was described by the religious people at the time he eats with sinners he hangs out in the house with those people that was all that was true of then it's true now. Um, but here's the beautiful thing about that. Um, when we step into a, a moment of saying yes to cross the bear and, and we get over our fear of what will people think, I think a, a couple of things happen. One is the the recognition, the affirmation from God of um, of actually doing this because he knows that we're feeling it, and I believe he brings peace and he brings strength. That affirmation will build your faith, right? But you won't know that until you actually do it. Often the peace is on the other side of that, Mm. you know, practice or the problem um, to make all peace here. You have, you got to go through that to get to the peace of it. So I think that's a really cool opportunity for us.
0: So Peter goes in boldly, obediently, and he just starts preaching to the gospel, not just to Cornelius, but Cornelius has assembled a whole group of people in his living room like, okay, you know what? If I'm going to bring this guy in, I need. I got to have some backup. So all these people are in the room. Peter just boldly goes and before he even gets to like his big like I wish I had drum here like boom boom mm-hmm. like his big one-liner, the Holy Spirit descends upon the room. Mm-hmm. And like something big happens. Now you said it's just like Pentecost. What 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 is Pentecost? You said this is just like Pentecost but for the Gentiles where mm-hmm. Pentecost had just happened for the Jews which is kind of all encapsulated in the book of Acts, right?
1: Yep. Okay. Yep. So uh in the beginning of Acts, um, Acts 1, the people who were left, the followers of Jesus after he's gone up, they are waiting for like their next orders and he says, "Go and wait and then you're going to get power." Now, I don't know if they understood what he meant by that. I don't know I if they I would not meant, have. Yeah, is that like we're going to get a, like a legal, you know, standing, here's your permission. But what actually happened was, after some time of praying and kind of waiting for this, the the Holy Spirit, the power of God, and we talk about this often, it's the same Spirit with the same power that made Jesus start breathing again in his dead body in the tomb. That power came on them, and it didn't just come on to give them boldness and courage. Um, we read that they all started speaking in other tongues, other languages. And everybody who's watching that, you know, in this first instance, because they're in public, everybody's watching and is like, Are these guys drunk? Have they been hanging out with the bartender? You know, what is going on? It's the middle of the day. And and actually what it was was God showing, hey, this message is going to get proclaimed to Jews from every part of the world. They've been scattered in this thing called the Diaspora, and you can read about that in history, but they were all over the world. They were speaking this language for other Jews who didn't live in Jerusalem. Now what happens? In Pentecost, by the way, um, that is the the reference to that falling. But Pentecost it actually was a festival. It was a harvest in the Jewish culture and the Jewish agricultural cycle. And it was when the first fruits of something would come in, right? Mm. So th- what this meant is that this is the beginning. I'm starting this thing. And then it starts to spread. So in this moment in Cornelius's living room with all his friends around, with Peter, like, man, he is, like, just bowed up and he's walked in and he's trusting and i'm sure he's nervous and he starts preaching holy spirit does the same thing and you had to know that peter all of a sudden was like it's just like what happened to us I- i've it, seen this before it's for them too yeah i thought it was just for us to tell them about it no no, no they're gonna do this as well you mean we're all equal in the same mission here we, we all have a same pl- like that was what happened so that's what i mean by and Gentile i
0: love Panos. that I love that you pointed that out because I think that's something that we would skip over. Mm-hmm. That or I would have missed. Like, okay, yeah, Pentecost for the Jews, oh, Pentecost for the Gentiles. No, this is a big deal because the Jews were God's chosen people, and now God's saying, I choose all people. Like Absolutely. you need to know, I choose everybody. And that's part of our mission at Forestill is that it's for everybody.
1: Everybody. We are we are trying to build bridges that connect everyone. And we talked about some this, this weekend. We'll continue to unpack that by, I mean, everyone in this case, the absolute other for Peter, like you could line up your list of whoever the other is or whoever is, doesn't deserve this, or even not even doesn't deserve it. There's no way that they would actually believe it. You yeah. know, you can line that up. And God in that moment for Peter was going like them too. Yep. I'll take you and I'll take him and her. And him. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah.
0: You know what I think I'm going to do? Cause a lot of times I like to say, oh, I don't I don't actually believe that there's anybody too far from God. I don't believe it. But I think in my heart there probably if I were to make a list of who I feel like is other, I bet there are still some people that I really need to start praying about.
1: I think we all have those and one of the difficulties in even this mission for our church, one of the things that's going to make it, like, it's going to give it teeth, but it's also going to make it tense, we're going to have to have God with us, is because most of the time we do not want to face up to the fact of that truth, Mm -hmm. that there are still people. I mean, it's 21st century, of course, I don't actually believe anybody's, no, we do. Oh, I'm sure I
0: operate that way, even though I'd like to think that I don't, I bet I do. So is that why it's going to feel like uncharted territory for people?
1: I think that's a part of it, for sure, is that we are um, in this process of uh, beginning to own this mission in a way. Now, uh, and obviously, again, this has the, been the mission for every individual in every church. And Forest Hills had this as a part, but we're really focused right now on the individual ownership of the mission of God to build bridges. That's going to be part of it. It's going to challenge a lot of the things that we, frankly, um, if I can say this, it's going to challenge things that we have as idols.
0: Oh, Right? Word.
1: Because when you start saying, I'm willing, I'm willing to even become disconnected from my group of safety in order to connect somebody else, that there's a price to pay in this. When we start to face up to that, it's going to go like, you care more about whatever it is, your standing, this person's opinion, your money. I, I don't know what it's going to be, but that's the risk on the other side of it. Bridges always get walked on hmm. and that's part of it. hmm but the beauty of connecting those two who were irreconciled before back together, man, it's
0: worth it. So we are building bridges that connect everybody to dynamic life in Christ. And as a one-year focus, not just for people inside this church, I want our podcast listeners to hear this too. They're part of the family. You are part of the family. We are asking everyone to build a relational pathway that to someone who's disconnected from God and do some very tangible things like— you should be able to follow them on social media, like know their first and last name. You should be able to put their name and number in your phone and text them. And by the end of 2020, have a faith conversation with them. Yeah. I mean, that can feel kind of risky, right?
1: It does. And I know there's even a risk at it feeling like project or all sure. of a sudden people are, ta- I mean, I felt that yesterday, even talking in the room, knowing that there are people in the room who aren't believers yet. And they're a part of, you know, what we're doing. Um, but I think, what we have to just do is say look this really isn't we're going to know this is not about a project a mark getting a notch on a belt it's none of that it's simply saying i care enough it's it's giving a structure for the care and love that we say we have for other people to actually live into it and extend it that's really what this is and so we made it as specific as we could you know with some of those kind of modern day ways to show connection um in order to give people ways to think about it but the, the end of the day, the the idea and the goal is that this is a person that is actually in a relationship with you. It's not a drive-by. You don't throw a track at him. You don't grab the bullhorn and scream at him from the corner, whatever. This is a person that you're in a relationship with. And I think we're going to talk about God working behind the scenes and all of that, right?
0: Yeah, we are. Because I think one of the reasons why people hear this, even in it, its simple, simple terms, like, okay. But the fact of the matter is, I, I can put somebody in my phone. I can even follow them on social media. But having a faith conversation, I'm going to screw that up. I'm not going to do it right. I'm not equipped. I'm going to say the wrong things. I may actually lead somebody astray. I mean, they may say, "She, she, if she's been following Jesus and she can't get it right, then there's no way I'm going to do it. But I think we have to believe that God is working behind the scenes. I think it takes... Like, there's right pressure, and then there's wrong pressure. The right pr- pressure is that there are people disconnected from God. We should feel that pressure. Like, we should feel the pressure of the people that we love and are in connection with being separated from God from e- for eternity. But the pressure of doing it on our own, or that we're the only ones responsible for their salvation or their faith, is kind of silly.
1: It is. It's totally silly. And, and I think our story gave us a peek into why that's silly. Because if you remember, and you started out saying this— God had gone to Cornelius and told him what he needed. You you need this man, Peter. He's going to tell you how to connect to me. God had gone to Peter and said, you need this man, Cornelius. This is going to begin the expansion of something I'm doing. And, And honestly, Peter's conversion, not his faith in Christ, but he had another level of conversion in this moment when suddenly his eyes and heart were wide open to people who were different. God was working both sides of that bridge. You think about a toll operator on a bridge, right? it's almost as if God was that on either side. Come on through. I got you. And then he's on the other side going, yeah, you come this way too. Maybe we'll meet in the middle. Maybe I'll just make sure that one of you has safe passage to the other side. But God is always working behind the scenes, in the details, creating the path forward. Because ultimately, he's the one who does the saving. He's the one who does the calling, if you will. He's the one who does the work. Our job is simply to present it. And I love this, you know, I even thought about, okay, what could pushback be from somebody? Like, oh, you're forcing your religion on me, or you're forcing your idea of God on me. That's legitimate to have that perspective. But I remember watching, and, and I hope this is not too cliche, but uh, several years ago, um, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but Penn and Teller, mm-hmm. you know, the comedians, mm-hmm. uh, are the What were they? Magicians. Illusionists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of them, I don't remember which one he is. It's the larger one of the two. Um, He's like, he's talking about this and he says, look, if you are a follower of Jesus and you really believe what you say is true, you really believe that there is an opportunity for me to have the life that I've always wanted It could last forever and everything wrong could be made right again, or I could be separated in darkness and judgment from God forever, if you believe that and you won't tell me, how much must you hate me? Oh. And he's an, an avowed atheist. And that stuck with me of like, absolutely. Again, am I going to be afraid to talk to somebody about what what is true? It's because I love you. You can still say no. You can say I don't agree. But how could I walk past you and not make this offer? I'm just making the offer on behalf. So am I worried about messing it up? Sure. I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm still going to mess this thing up. <laughs> All of us might mess it up. Mm-hmm. God loves to work in our mess. So. I think
0: He does His best work in our mess. Amen. Well, I've got one of my best girlfriends. Um, I can talk about her because she's not listening to podcasts because she does not love Jesus. <laughs> she she may be supporting me, but she ain't listening. But she um, she hears about Jesus a lot in our group of friends. But she does not. She does not feel close to Him. She's not interested in a relationship with Jesus. She's like, I get it. This is what you guys believe. That's fine. But like, I, I'm not, that's not where I am. I'm not going to be there. I'm not interested. So one of the things I've started doing, I pray for her every Monday at two o'clock. I've gotten a little alarm and I've actually been praying that God would reveal himself in a dream to her wow. because we've been friends a long time and she knows my heart. She knows how much I love her. She, she hears about Jesus. I never force it on her, but we always talk about how God's moving in our own lives. And she's still like, yeah, you know, thanks, but no Thanks. So I've been praying that God would show up in a dream because when I carry that pressure of like, if only I could say the right thing, then she would come to faith. That's just not realistic. And I know I truly do believe that God is working both sides. He's working on my heart to be obedient and prayer for her, like unrelentless prayer for her, not just like, I'm going to pray for you once and then eh, let's see if it happens, like relentless prayer. But he's also working on me to believe that he's bigger than all of it too, that he's going to, he's going to work it out.
1: Uh, does she know you're praying for?
0: She does. Uh, she doesn't know that I'm praying for Jesus to show up in a dream because she might start taking Ambien, so she <laughs> doesn't. <laughs> she may. She may just start staying awake, <laughs> drinking espresso at five o'clock, so she never has to worry about some man in in a white robe and a beard showing up. <laughs> that is funny.
1: That's funny. Yeah, I I think that's a beautiful thing too. And you know what it does? Um, even our attempts at this. Let's say that that somebody accepted this invitation that we're going to make really, you know, formal in a couple of weeks and to, to become a bridge builder this year. Let's say you accept the invitation and at the end of the year you have your spiritual conversation, you're you're nervous about it, but you've you've prepped and and nothing happens, nothing changes. Okay, for that person, they they say like, that's that's great, but I'm not interested. Can you do you think that there is still work that has been done? Is there still beauty that comes out of that? Could God still, maybe you were just the seed planter, you were the ground scratcher, you were the waterer for a moment. Um, no matter what, you're going to have love for this person in a different way than you've ever had before. We absolutely cannot lose if we put this thing into practice. Oh, that's so Nobody good. can lose. The other side, somebody on the other side of it can't lose from that. They now have someone that loves them and knows them differently than they did before. And we're all talking. The whole world screams we've got to be more connected. We need unity. It's just that sometimes we talk about the wrong kind of unity.
0: Yeah. Gosh, I loved how you at the end of this, you said, imagine, imagine in January.
1: I said, imagine a lot. You said,
0: imagine a lot. And I am here for it. I am here for it. Imagine January 2021. You know, we have taken a, a year, almost a whole year to be bridge builders. Imagine in January that there's a whole group of people that are now saying, I want to have a relationship with Jesus, and I'm ready to be baptized. And they go up there, and they go under the water, and when they come up, the first face they see is that person who built a bridge to them. Like, that makes me want to cry. Yeah. Like, makes me all kinds of weepy.
1: Well, I love that you're very sensitive. (laughs) Um, And it does me, too, in a way. And even as I was saying it yesterday, I was picturing it in my head. I'm imagining what that would be like. And the celebration, the joy, the... um, the connection level, the stickiness that people feel, the, all of that. I mean, it just goes through the roof, right? Um, and, and here's the other side. We could choose to just keep doing life the way we've been doing it. And, you know, Forest Hill's done a great job, and we've, we baptized people we did yesterday. No, but, but what if in this effort God decided, yep, I'm using this moment to launch something to spark a movement in Charlotte that's going to turn this place around all those divisions you talked about all of those places where people were you know disunified I'm, I'm going to give them something to be united around it's my son it's mm. the it's the life that they're going to have forever and what if he just chose to do that with this simple thing can you imagine so one day crazy telling your grandkids I was there in Charlotte when that happened when the Great Revival or the Great Awakening or the whatever you want to say, when people started suddenly putting down their weapons to fight each other and they started coming together all under the flag of King Jesus, I was a part of that, and it started because I made a relationship with somebody I didn't know before. Unbelievable!
0: Mm. That's so good. I'm excited. I am. I keep thinking. So my my family were big Toby Mac fans, especially my sons. So Toby Mac has the song, and it has this incredible video. And it's about racism and racial divides. And the video, and it's, it's so timely for Charlotte and where we've been, but it's a young African-American man and a white cop. And there is a big protest, or like a racial protest in the heart of the city, and there's an older African-American man. And he goes to stand between the two sides and he ends up getting hit by somebody has thrown a rock or something and he goes down and both the young African American man and the white cop go to help this man up and they're like no they're just battling and all of a sudden the older man just raises his hands up to Jesus to pray like this can't be the way it is and you see in this music video mm. the fact that we still have him is shocking but music video this reconciliation because of the power of Christ between two racial sides like the racial division between young old I and mean, it's generational it's race it's socioeconomic it's and it's such a powerful image of what could happen
1: that is amazing
0: it's just the, and i just keep thinking not just along racial lines or socioeconomic but just ultimately between people who are separated from god and i'm going to use my imagination that i'm going to see my friend go under the water and i'm going to get checked up and when she comes out you know like that's really cool
1: i can't wait I can't wait to see that. I need more coffee, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, the the answer, I know that it, when we talk about building bridges and all this divided stuff, um, you could look from the outside and go, that's so simplistic. Yeah. You know, um, you really think, yeah, actually. Yeah, I, do, I think I, it can work. Should we continue to work on upward mobility? Absolutely. Should we change laws that keep people in places and systemic racism and injustice and poverty cycles? Should we change that? Absolutely. Should we, you know, do all of the things that human effort can do? Of course we should. That is working for the peace of the place that we live. That is at That's a result like of bridge building. It is. It's also the result of the gospel at work, the good mm. news of Jesus saying, this is not the way the world is going to stay, at work in us and at work in our efforts. And ultimately, that is the thing that does the work. That's mm. where all the power
0: is. So, mm. I love it. Well, will you pray for us? Would you, would you commission us? I think that's what I would like. I want you to pray for us, but I want you to commission us. There's a little over a 1,000 people that listen regularly. A 1,000 people. I would love for you to commission us to be bridge builders. You got it. Thanks.
1: Well, Heavenly Father, um, it is evident and apparent uh, when we take a look at your story through the Bible that since the beginning of time, uh, in ebbs and flows, you have been working to create A family for yourself that includes and ultimately will include every tribe, nation, tongue, every group of people. That what you wanted from uh, your representatives, we said this week in your ambassadors here, was to make the invitation to come into the family to every single person. And so as we've talked today, as we've listened to messages, as we've read and prayed, Lord, I I ask that you would, um, in this moment, you would give us courage To take this step, that united together, we would take one bold step forward, following you into being bridge builders, that we would begin to see disconnected people find their connection to the source of life that they wanted in you, and that as we do that, dynamic life that the the life of a disciple of a follower will begin to emerge and that is the way that we will then tear down the walls that separate us and the things that cause us pain and the places where injustice still exists and and god you will be in the midst of all of it so right now i ask that for every person listening that feels in their palms the sweatiness or in their heart the the fluttering that says i know i need to do this i pray at this moment you would give us all resolve and that we would step forward following and trusting you. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. Amen. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here this week. We cannot wait to stick with you on this this journey as we learn more about what it means to be bridge builders and what it means to do this work, this kingdom work. I want to hear stories of your bridge building. I want to hear the places where you're nervous. I want to hear the places where you're having success. I want to hear about it. So email us at leadership at I want to hear all about it. We are praying for you. Pray for us. Um, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.